We, we have been, and, and this is going to be a little bit different tonight because of the nature of the subject, but for the last several Wednesday nights, we've been looking at um, cultural issues in light of biblical teaching. And it has been my objective to, to first expose the insidious and the evil nature of the cultural revolution that our nation is experiencing right now. You know, well, the nation just hit 50. I'm, I will be 52, uh, 51. I'll be 50. No, I'll be. I will be. Where's my wife? I will be 52, I think, in just a couple of days. Sometime. Come, come close. You know, when you hit 50, you really are on the downward slope. You are headed toward the exit. That's, that's what, what you're doing. And, and you get a sense that no matter how evil this world gets, I believe I can outlive it. And I'll get to heaven either by the grave or by the rapture, you know, in the next decade or two. And then this world and culture, they can pretty much do what they want to. And that's fine if you're not going to leave any children or grandchildren behind. Um, if, if your grandchildren and grandchildren and grandchildren are going to come up in this increasingly uh, wicked world, uh, then that compels us to expose them, to, to raise a voice, to raise a warning to our children and grandchildren, not to get suckered into any philosophy that comes out of a non-Christian influence. I want the young people, the teenagers, the young men, the ladies, the young couples in this church to know that while the world's philosophers and philosophy can give convincing arguments and they seem to take the high road of compassion, inclusivity, and all of that, there is a deadly poison that comes out of their mouth. And so that's the objective, is, is to expose what is going on in our culture. And then, and then secondly, to, to, bring, to bring every lie that the world tells under the scrutiny and the subjection of God's word. And I really believe that that's where the battle will be won or lost for the minds of our young people. Because you either believe that the Bible is absolutely true and you accept it as the authority in your life, or you open yourself up to the deception of Satan. And if we instill anything in the next generation, it is this. What does the Bible say? Because I'm convinced that when a person feeds upon the Scripture, when he saturates his mind with the Scripture, when he keeps Scripture always in the forefront, he develops a skill that is called discernment. And discernment is not, is, is, is not that, that you have a verse at your fingertips all the time, and, and it's not that you have a verse that says, Thou shalt not believe in critical race theory. No. But you can hear the ideology out there, and you have enough Scripture inside of you that tells you instinctively, that doesn't square with the scripture. And in fact, when you hear that ungodly philosophy that comes from the college professor or the man at work or the unsaved family member, you know instinctively that that is not biblical, but you also know why and you know how to rebut it. You may not be able to quote five memory verses that refute social justice, but you're able to say, no, that's wrong, and here's the Bible principle that it violates. That comes from saturating your mind 
with scripture discernment. But there is a step beyond that, and that is confrontation. It is not enough for you and I to live in a Christian bubble and just to know what the Bible says about these issues, but our culture must be confronted with God's truth. We equip ourselves and we arm ourselves with Bible truth and we saturate our very being with the Word of God for, for really two purposes. One, so that I don't get poisoned uh, from, from the philosophies of the world, but then secondly, so that I can help people who have been deceived by false theories and the lies of the devil and whose minds have been darkened. And so I, I, I encourage especially our younger generation to do not be afraid to firmly but lovingly confront the world in their lives because only by confrontation will we ever be able to see deceived people delivered from the powers of darkness. So tonight I, I want to address biblical thinking about the gender revolution. In the last 30 or 40 years, there was a major battle in America over homosexual rights. The Bible for homosexual, the Bible word for homosexuality, by the way, is the word sodomy. Culture was accepting it. Churches were fighting hard against it. In 2009, then President Obama signed into law the Law Enforcement Crimes Act, which empowers federal law enforcement agencies to charge someone who speaks or writes against homosexuality with a federal hate crime. That was a blow in that battle. But then, in 1996, the Defense of Marriage Act was passed, and Section 3 of that law barred same-sex married couples from being recognized federally, barring spouses in same-sex marriages from receiving federal marriage benefits. That was a victory. But it was a short-lived victory because in 2013, the Supreme Court struck that down as unconstitutional. So there's been a battle over homosexual rights, and I... I say to you tonight that the battle over sodomy in America has been lost. Now, here's what I mean by that. Sodomy is accepted as mainstream. Homosexuals have special protections that are given to them. You will not find one single politician that would ever say that homosexuality is a sin. You will increasingly find fewer and fewer preachers that will say that homosexuality is a sin. And so I say that the battle of homosexuality, that that battle was lost in America. But now we are in a new war. It's a new front. And this war is over gender identity. The sexual revolution has given way to the gender revolution. This is the battle that's being waged in our culture. And just to give us a start tonight, and we'll come back and comment on the verse, but just to give us a, a, a scriptural footing Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air. And over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. If you go to Genesis chapter 5, and the purpose for it is because that passage is before the fall. Genesis 5 is after the fall. Genesis 5 and verse number 1, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man in the likeness of God, made he him. Male and female created he them. 
We'll not turn to it tonight, but in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus will be being challenged by the Pharisees on the question of divorce. And when Jesus answered them, he emphasized the permanency of marriage based on God's original intent and design in Genesis chapter 2. And he took them all the way back to the garden to make the point that this is how God intended it when he made male and female. God created a man and a woman and he put them together in a human union that would be called one flesh for the purpose of recreating and repopulating the earth. And that becomes the bedrock of society, the marriage of a man and a woman. But that design is on a collision course with our culture as now our culture tries to abolish any notion of male and female. We have moved beyond what constitutes a marriage and, and can homosexuals be married. But now the question is, if there, is there even more than just a male and a female? Our, our culture is on a, is on a full-scale denial of just biology, just basic nature. And we're actually trying to eliminate the categories of male and female. There are people in our country who believe that it is abusive to children and that you should be charged with a, a, a criminal crime if you force your child to identify by their biological birth. There are people who believe that your children ought to be taken away from you. Now, 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 a word on definition, definitions, all right? And I, I'm going to be very discreet in what I say, and, and, and I, I, think, I think we'll be fine. But the word that we hear often now is the word gender. Gender inclusive, gender conformity, gender non-conformity, gender identity. But the word gender in this context is actually a new thing because for many centuries, the normal word for denoting your biological category of male or female was the word sex. When you looked at a questionnaire or filled out an application, name, age, age, sex, male or female. Medical guides, medical journals still use that word as the biological category. In fact, I have a couple of definitions. The American Psychological Association identifies it. It says sex refers to a man's or a person's biological status and is typically categorized as male or female. But that word now, now, that is most commonly used is gender. And the word gender is more fluid. It's more inflexible. It's more broad. It's broader. It's more ambiguous. Sex is biological. It is fixed. It is male or female. But gender, gender takes on not just a person's biology, but a person's perspective, his attitude his feelings about his sexuality. So the American Psychological Association goes on, gender refers to attitudes, feelings, and behaviors that a given culture associates with a person's biological sex. So by definition, gender is not determined by sex, it is determined by culture. Behavior that is compatible with what a culture expects is called gender normative. Behavior that is not acceptable or expected of culture is called gender nonconformity. Now, 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 I want you just, and you gotta just, just, just think with me tonight just a little bit, all right? There are only two sexes and that cannot be denied. 
But mankind cannot let God be the arbitrator of that. So he comes up with a new classification, and that's gender. And while God made male and female, then there is no other. And that's just that. Man wants to play God, and so he says, yes, but there are many genders as I want there to be, and I, culture, we set the norm for gender. The American Medical Association. Gender includes more than sex and serves as a cultural indicator of a person's personal and social identity. The World Health Organization, not to be left out. Gender is used to describe the characteristics of men and women that are socially constructed, while sex refers to those that are biologically determined. People are born female or male, but learn to be girls and boys who grow into women and men. This learned behavior makes up gender identity and determines gender roles. An individual's personal sense of being a man, woman, or other gender, regardless of the sex, that person was assigned at birth. Now, there is a reason why the medical field doesn't just get away or do away with male and female altogether. And here's the reason why. It's because men and women are made differently. And as such, they have different medical needs. A female has different health concerns than a male just by virtue of how that she is made and how she functions. And to deny the biology would destroy health care. It would be impossible because you can't treat a male without acknowledging that he is a male. But to acknowledge that there is only male and female shuts the door to the gender revolution and transgenders and all the like. And so the medical field gets stuck in this conundrum of how do we know what we know biologically, but also believe this other manufactured category of gender. In order to do that, sex and gender have to have two separate identities. In order to have both, we have the accepted biological definition of male and female that we cannot get away with, but we also accommodate the cultural rot of transgenderism. So the words have changed. The word sex now is used almost exclusively for intimacy between two persons. Did you know that that word was never used like that until 1928? In 1928, there was an English novelist. His name was D.H. Lawrence. And D.H. Lawrence wrote a book in 1928 about Lord Chatter, Lady Chatterley and her lover. And in that book, he used, and it's very scandalous because the book was really soft porn. It was published in England and France, and, and, but it was banned from the United States until 1960. It is in that book that Lawrence first used the word sex to speak of something besides biology. It became a euphemism for intimacy. By the way, the book was published in 1960. Some of you may remember the sexual revolution of the 1960s. And when that book was published in 1960, it flew off the shelves. Over 3 million copies immediately were sold in the United States. And it became very influential in, in kicking off the sexual revolution of the 60s. And here we are running off to the races. 
the word gender. The word gender comes from a word from which we get the word genus, the genus of something. And genus is the class or the family or the kind. The flower belongs to this kind. And gender has always been a strictly biological term. But the last couple of decades, gender has become a euphemism for the difference between male and female. And at first, the two words would be used interchangeably. Gradually, the word gender would be expanded to include how people feel about themselves, not who they are biologically. And that brings us to gender theory, where gender has been broadened and it's been massaged and it's given this new definition. You have critical race theory. You have queer theory. You have gender theory, all these theories. And by the way, all of these theories, here's what they are. It is people who are theorizing and philosophizing about all the things that they don't like in society. And after they have formulated a theory, then they turn it into a curriculum, give it to a professor at a state university to teach it to a generation of young people who have no ability to filtrate truth from error. But you have to understand that gender theory is not just an attack on male and female. The target of the gender revolution is not male and female. It is masculinity and femininity. One writer said masculine and feminine aren't realities of nature. They are artificial categories, oppressive social constructs which prop up patriarchy. And that's what's driving gender theory, is the hatred for male patriarchy. At its very core, it is an attack not just on the idea that there's a male and a female, but the role that male and female play in God's design. And the gender theorist believes that the masculine male is subordinating women and, and, and must be overthrown. And so this gender binary, where there's just two parts, is a straitjacket from which society must be released. It's an attack on masculine and feminine. Now, to help you understand how they think, and we'll look at some verses in just a minute. And this goes contrary to everything that you believe. Gender is not something that is fixed, but it is developed. You were born with a biology that cannot be denied. But gender is something that develops socially over time. You have to wait for gender to develop. To know what you really are. So while sex, male, female is from biology, gender is from within your own feelings. Then they would say that the biology that you were born with has no consequence to the gender that you eventually identify with. So if you were born as a male, it doesn't necessarily mean that you would be predisposed to identify as a male. There's no connection. There's no consequence. There's no relationship between your sex and your gender. And what that's intended to do, it's intended to abolish any gender distinction that is tied in any two ways to the two biological sex. Because here's the thing. There's, there's no way to get around that there's two sexes, that there are male and female. Nothing has ever been born in the, in, in the human or, 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 or the animal kingdom except just those two. So when you cannot deny female and male biolog biologically, 
you're stuck. So what you have to do is you have to create a false distinction, call it gender, separate it from the science of male and female, and now you have a platform to build all kinds of perversion on. That's the world that we live in. When you accept that there are more genders than male and female, then the question is, how many? And in this path to liberation, people have claimed a whole new range of gender identities. In reality, if there's 8 billion people on the face of the earth, there could be 8 billion gender identities. Gender queer and, and non-binary and pangender and polygender and all the rest of it. Gender's not fixed. It is a broad spectrum. So what does God say about all of this? Well, look at Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Psalm 139, and look if you would at verse number 13. Great passage of Scripture. Psalm 139 and verse number 13. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me of my mother's womb. I will praise thee. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. And that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought on the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being imperfect, and in the, thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. Psalm 119 and verse 73, Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Jeremiah 1 and verse 5, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Can I tell you that when God made you, he knew what he was doing and he didn't make a mistake. Male and female is what you are biologically, but woven into that is a masculinity and a femininity by nature. And he fashioned each one of us with a divinely designed masculinity or a femininity that would make it possible for us to fulfill the roles that he created us for. Yes. Amen. So let me, let me define masculine and feminine. That's what the attack is against. All right. So, so what is masculine? Is masculine brawn, muscles, broad shoulders, rough lumberjack type? Well, I, 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 I'm for masculine in that form, but I know some strong men with weak bodies. I, I, I know some men who are men's men, and they're not hunters, and they're not fishers, and they don't play sports. And they don't have muscles. So masculine... Really, biblically, it has nothing to do with whether you hunt or fish or you wear flannel shirts or you poke around in the woods or you wear a beard. It, it, grow a beard, it has nothing to do with that. Right. Amen. I, I read a book when I was in college. This is how far back this, this book goes. Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. We may have it in the bookstore, I'm not sure. Uh, John Piper Wayne Gruden wrote this book, and, and it's a small book. I've encouraged you to get it, and, 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 and they try to define Biblical masculinity, biblical femininity in the roles that God has. So, so here's, here's, here's biblical masculinity. At the heart of true biblical masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead, to provide for, and to protect women in ways appropriate to a man's differing relationship. 
Different relationships. It might be your wife. It might be your sister. It might be, it might be your mother. It might be your daughter. It might, it might be your neighbor. But biblical manhood, it's not about how big your muscles are or how, how far you can throw a baseball. No, it is accepting and embracing the responsibility that a man has to provide for, to protect, to care for the women in his life. It is your innate design to lead and protect and provide. Then biblical femininity, at the heart of biblical femininity, is a freeing disposition to affirm and receive and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in all those ways appropriate to her differing relationships with them. Now, when you read that, you're probably thinking, yeah, that kind of squares with Genesis 2. Yeah, Ephesians 5. But I'm going to tell you that that is diametrically opposed to everything that this world believes. That is hated by our culture. I can hear the feminists screaming even now. Male patriarchy, suppressing women. That's designed to be oppressive to women. But for every man and woman who has accepted those roles and has learned to flourish in them, has not found it to be oppressive, but has found it to be liberating. When a male, when a male, biological male, when he denies his natural sense and says, I feel that I am something else besides what I was designed to be. He goes against that natural responsibility that he has toward women. And he then claims a new identity, a new role. And the only, the only reason that he would do that is to escape God's design and create something new which will only serve himself. And when a female, a biological female says... I don't want to be the weaker sex and I don't want to compliment the man and I don't want to follow leadership. The only way to escape that is to create a new identity and say, I may be female, but I will not be feminine. I am what I say I am and I defy God's design. But I would tell you that when a culture says that the abnormal is going to become normal, we are going to accept you however you feel that you are, then that culture will self-destruct upon itself. So it is now the policy of the United States military to take women out of their homes and away from their babies and children and put them in combat zones. And courts have ruled that that, that you must allow biological males to compete in women's sports if they identify as females. And again, it's driven by the radical feminist movement, but do you think any of this benefits women? No. There have been actually stories of college female athletes that are now crying out, this is not fair. Allowing biological male. In fact, in the, in the Summer Olympics in Tokyo this summer, there are three transgender athletes. One of them is a, is a weightlifter from New Zealand. And he's going to compete with the women. He is a biological male, identifies as a woman, transgender, and, and, and there's three of them. Now, and, 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 and the lack of competition, that's the least of their concern. On January 30, 2017, the Boy Scouts of America announced that the Boy Scouts from now on would accept and register youth in the Boy Scouts programs based on the gender identity indicated on their application. But here's what they're beginning to discover. 
is you can't ignore the difference between male and female. You can't. There is nothing more hypocritical and self-contradictory than the philosophies of the world. In California, Governor Gavin Newsom, and aren't you glad he's not our governor? He signed into law a gender policy for prisons. Each inmate, each inmate is asked his preferred gender and then sent to a prison housing that gender. If you identify as a woman, then you get sent to a woman's prison. If you're a woman and you identify as a man, then you get sent to the man's prison. Now they do that to be inclusive. We are all inclusive. Do you know what that policy actually does if you'll think critically about it? It affirms that there are only two genders. That's what it does. Okay, because if you really believe that gender is whatever you say it is, then there could be 23 different genders, then you ought to have 23 prisons. I mean, why, why, why are you forcing me to choose between male and female? That's the very construct that you're trying to get rid of. They can't get rid of it. Target, Target's one of the more woke corporations. So you remember when they changed their bathroom policies so men could use the women's bathroom. Then they changed their clothing line for children. When I have boys clothing, men, we have clothing that, 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 that that's just kind of uh, unisex clothing that is more neutral. And then, and then the toys, we're not going to have a boy section and a girl section of toys. We're going to get rid of that stereotype. We're going to find toys that, that, that boys and girls are both. We're just, just going to be so inclusive. How about children's books and television programs? I'll skip a lot of this. Very popular book. You can go home tonight, buy it on Amazon.com. Lulu is a rhinoceros. Children's book. It's a picture. It's a story about Lulu, a bulldog. Everyone thinks Lulu is a bulldog, but she knows that can't be true because Lulu is a rhinoceros. At least that's what she sees staring back at her when she looks in the mirror. But sometimes being yourself can be a difficult road to walk, and just when all hope seems lost, Lulu finds a small friend that makes a big difference in her life when she realizes that the courage to be herself has been inside of her all along. I hope by now that you're thinking this is absolute insanity. It is hypocritical. It is self-contradictory. It is rooted in a dark, twisted, perverted mind. And what gender theory does is it drives a culture farther and farther away from reality. Because once you accept that gender is fluid, that, that there are more than two, you have to ask how many are there? How many do I have to acknowledge before I am no longer oppressive? If I want to be gender inclusive, then how many genders must I include? And by definition, if gender is based on feeling, then there are as many genders as there are people. By the way, did you know that the term transgender is a contradiction in itself? Now just think with me. By calling yourself transgender, you are admitting that you are not what you are. You're, tr you're trying to identify as something that you know you aren't. I, I know I am not a female, but I identify as one, so I am acknowledging that I'm actually a man. Yes. Is that one of the Sure it is. Just think about it. If you are born biologically a man and you say that you're a woman, you can't say that without admitting that you indeed are a man trying to be a woman. So if you really believe that you're a woman, you wouldn't say you're transgender. You'd say you're a woman. You can't say that because you know that you're not a woman. I've thought about all this gender identity as whatever you feel you are. So I have discovered that in my study of this, what my identity is. 
I've discovered my, I, I, since gender is fluid, you are what you ever are. Then, then, it, then it dawned upon me that my identity is I identify as the gender that rules over all other genders. That's what I am. I, 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 that's what I feel. I feel it all the time. I am the ultimate gender. I am the king over all the other little subgenders. Well, who are you to say that I'm not? When a culture loses all semblance of logic and reason and sanity and nature, it encourages a gender revolution. It turns society upon its head. Because if you don't accept a person for who they say that they are, then you're oppressive and you are marginalizing them. And their self-absorption must be recognized by you. It must be catered by you or you are the evil one. And the world that you live in right now believes that you and I, that do not go along with the gender revolution, that you and I should be indoctrinated, that we need to be re-educated. The social engineers will not be able to dismantle society as long as you and I are around to gum up the works. A few weeks ago, Caitlyn Jenner was interviewed by Sean Hannity on Fox News. Now, I didn't watch the interview because I've not watched a single minute of Fox News since the night of the election. Don't ever plan to do it again unless I'm in the barber chair. I can't turn it off. So I didn't watch the interview because it was on Fox News. And I didn't watch the interview because it was Sean Hannity. And I didn't watch the interview because it was Caitlyn Jenner. Now, Caitlyn Jenner, born as Bruce Jenner, Jenner, announced that he, she, was going to run for governor of California. Probably as good a choice as Gavin Newsom, right? Was interviewed by Sean Hannity on Fox News, and I read a few little snippets of it, and Sean Hannity referred to him as a her during the entire interview. He knows that's not a her. That's a he. But he lost his career if he had not acknowledged that. He can change his name. He cannot change his sex. I have news for you. I don't care what he says. Caitlyn Jenner is not a woman. But you're the weird one to point it out. Now, let me give you one more thing, and I'll, I'll go to the Bible. I, I know that I've got to hurry. I've got to hurry. We sang too long and for Nathan's birthday. <laughs> the evangelical world has reached out, and they've tried to figure out, how do I accept this transgender community without straying too far away from some symbolism of believing the Bible? Andrew Draycott, he's a professor of biblical and theological studies at Biola University, and he's a leading thinker in the evangelical world, and he's trying to help the evangelical world out with what do we do with this? And so here's what he has come up with. Is that you have a biological identity, male or female, but you also have a soul identity. And God could have created you with a male body, but a female soul. Now, don't worry. In the resurrection, he will get it right. But it is possible, it is possible that when God fashioned your body and threw the soul in there, that he mixed it up. Could be that. Now again, again, don't worry. In the resurrection, he'll get all those matches right. Okay? 
But you have a body identity, you have a soul identity, and it could be, it could be that what's happening in the confusion of the transgender community, it is somebody that God created with a male body, but just mistakenly gave him a female soul. And you must not condemn those people because God actually mismatched them. And all of this, the Bible says, Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And I say to you again, he knew what he was doing. And he didn't make any mistakes. He made you and I male and female. And included in that are the natural impulses related to our biological sex. We are created in the image of God. We serve different functions in the created order, but we have equal dignity and worth and value, and we both reflect God's image. If you have only men, the image is incomplete. If you have only females, then the creation of order is incomplete. God made us differently, but he also made us to where we need each other. What the feminist wants to do is it wants to elevate the female in defiance of God. And it wants to tell the female to strip her of her role in society. And then they want to crush the man's desire and the willingness to sacrifice on the woman's behalf. And the gender revolution, it destroys masculinity because it turns men into animals who will not protect and provide and sacrifice. But God, God has declared that this is what you are. He created male and female. You're one of the two, and there is not another choice. And your role in society is based upon what he made you to be. And when a person says, I defy that, I declare myself to be something else. Listen now. When a person says, I defy what God made me, I decide what I am going to be, then that person is setting themselves up as God. He becomes the self-declared one, the all-knowing one. He is actually patterning himself after the first being who ever did that, and that was Lucifer. I am going to be my own God. And by the way, if you are allowed to be whatever you want to be, whatever you say you are, then you are the ultimate authority, and that is the issue all along. Now notice something, notice something. In verse 26, male and female created he them. Look at chapter 2 and verse 23. And Adam said, this is not bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she's taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. When we read male and female in chapter 1 and verse 26, there's only two. By the way, in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 19, male and female is used for the animal kingdom as well. You only have two choices biologically, that's all. In Genesis chapter 2, the term is not male and female, it is man and woman. The account of creation moves from male and female, which are strictly biological constructs, and it moves to man and woman. Man and woman is what God made male and female to be. Human males should grow up to be men. Human females should grow up to be women. Look at Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. I'm, I'm hurrying. I really, really am. Matthew chapter 10. Look, if you would, at verse number 28. Matthew 10 and verse number 28. And fear not them which kill the body, 
but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Some people believe that they've been born in a wrong body. That they are a woman trapped in a man's body. There is a mixed match between their body and their soul. That's not the teaching of the Bible. The Bible teaches that when the body perishes, that, that, that at death and is separated from the soul, God will eventually reunite that body and soul in the resurrection. And whenever soul and body are mentioned together in the Bible, they're always one whole. The soul is the soul of the body. The body is the body of the soul. And, and, and no person has a soul or a spirit that's been created independently of the body and then placed in the body by mistake. A person may feel like that they're a woman trapped in a, in a man's body, but there's no objective truth to that. Culture says that your feelings Determine your sexual identity. Let your body be conformed to it. No, Scripture says that your body is your sexual identity. Let your mind be conformed to that. Another passage, Deuteronomy chapter 22. And I wish I had all night to spend on this one. But Deuteronomy chapter 22, look if you would at verse 5. Deuteronomy 22 and verse 5. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Now that verse has been preached a lot in, in preaching in women's clothing, and, I, I, and I've used it myself and will again. But what is denounced in the strongest languages is cross-dressing. And it goes beyond just an article of clothing because the word abomination, abomination is so prominent there. And what the law does is it protects the distinction between men and women. There's a line that must not be blurred. For a person to wear something associated with the opposite gender confuses the sexual identity and it blurs the boundaries. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You still with me? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm just trying to pull a few principles out. How do you think critically about this? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse number 9. No, you're not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. The Bible condemns the blurring of lines between men and women in dress, but also in behavior. If yes. feminacy is a man acting like a woman, taking on womanly characteristics, and it's not just a... And I'll be careful how I say it. It's not just a sissified man, but, but, but the next part of it, abusers of themselves with mankind. You understand what that is. It's a man who takes on the persona of a female for the purposes of homosexuality. You don't blur those lines. Now you and I look at all of this and we are repulsed by it. And all sins should disgust us, but, but these types of sin in particular are, are unseemly. And we have a temptation to respond just in disgust. When we see somebody who's involved in this kind of lifestyle, when you encounter a cross-dresser or a lesbian or somebody who says, I am different than what you think that I am, then we want to respond with righteous indignation. But don't let our righteous indignation against them become righteous pride in ourselves. Yes. A person who claims to be transgender is a very confused person. Dark mind. Evil practices. Blind and confused. And do you know why he is confused? Because he's been blinded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Now, how many of us would rise up and say, wait, 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 wait a minute, he's gone too far. He's chosen that lifestyle. He's a reprobate. He can never be saved. Then, 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 then how do you know who's reprobate? How, how do you know who can be saved and who cannot be saved? That's not our call. You, you, you may not know any transgender persons. You may not have any dealings with any. I don't. But what if you did? And what if that person expresses uncertainty and doubt about the course of life that they've taken? Do you think that every person that has chosen this course of sodomy and, and sexual deviancy, do you think that every person that identifies as homosexual, transgender, do you think that they have found that fulfilling? No, there are people who are in deep sin and defiance against God, and they are confused and they are disillusioned because of their sin, because that's what sin does. And you may not believe that the gospel can reach people like that. Then what would your message be to them? Am I supposed to just call them out for the sin and send them to hell with no hope? Is that the message? A couple of things. One, we must firmly stand on Scripture and call transgenderism what it is. It is sin. Do not equivocate. Do not waffle. Do not soft soap it. We must be immovable in calling sin what it is. It is an abomination against God. It is vile and it is perverse. And you will never help anybody by covering up their sin and coddling their sin. And this particular sin is not a normal sin, but no sin should be normalized or accepted. It is sin. And the only thing I can find in my Bible is we must call men to repent of their sin and trust Jesus Christ, even these people. What else are you going to tell them? What other hope are you going to offer them? Is the blood of Jesus Christ sufficient for all sin? Yes, it is. And I know that there is a place where God no longer deals with a man, but I don't know where that line is, and I haven't been told to go look for it. And if people in these very dark lifestyles do get saved then discipleship for them is going to be very extensive and intensive. And there's going to be a whole host of problems that they're going to have to overcome. But isn't that what the blood of Jesus Christ is for? Now, I will tell you, I will tell you, and I'm trying to cover all of my bases, but repentance means leaving the sin. The light of the gospel will give clarity to the darkened mind and the person that truly repents of any sin will abhor the sin that so blinded him. He will accept God's judgment on that sin and he will want to denounce it in his life. Yeah. And can I tell you that when Jesus makes you a new creature, he also gives you a new life. 2 Corinthians 5, that he died for all, that they which he lived should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. And a new, a new power in us means that there is a new possibility for us that is to walk in righteousness and not to let sin reign in our mortal bodies. The new believer, by the way, is called to walk in newness of life, newness of life. And did you know that that involves even our bodies? Because 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 19, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. If there is no hope for them in the gospel, then there is no hope. There's a whole myriad of questions that comes up that we don't have time to address tonight. What happens when the family walks in with a 10-year-old transgender boy wants to put him in Sunday school? What do you do? There are issues. There are issues that the church will face 
perhaps even this church, that you'll have to address. But I pray that as unusual of a subject as this is tonight, and it may not be personally relevant to anybody here, I hope that the material gives us solid footing. It may not touch your life personally. It may never somebody around you, a family member. But may we be firm on the authority of the Word of God. And let us not buy into the philosophies of culture. Let us make the Bible our authority. Let us learn to develop critical thinking about these things and learn to bring Scripture to bear upon cultural sin, no matter the next sin that the world invents, and they will invent another one. But may we firmly stand on the Word of God with compassion in our hearts for those who have been blinded in the worst way by the lies of Satan.